Thank you for the worship and also for the prayer. Uh, I, I want to echo the sentiment of praising the Lord for the work and the devotion of your staff. Uh, coming to this place is very easy for me because of the folks that you have in your office that take care of my, uh, all the things before my arrival. I was talking to Mike before the service, and I said, I went one time, I went one place, and I walked in, and the guy goes, hey, how you doing? I said, I'm doing great. And he goes, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm here to speak. Uh, the thing that made it worse, it was a staff member that greeted me, and they had no idea. Uh, so thank you very much for the, your devoted staff and what they do to make things easier for me. It is a wonderful thing to have family. Most of my family has its roots in Kentucky, uh, all the way south, almost in Tennessee. Uh, that made for some interesting kind of dialogue between my wife and I. My wife was from Wisconsin, and so the south and the north kind of collided a couple of times. My mother always says she's good to my wife because she's afraid if she's not, she'll give me back. And so she's always really good to my wife. One time, though, however, she almost disowned and sent my wife back to Wisconsin because we were at one of our first meals together, and my wife had said, I'll do dishes. And she went in, and uh, do you have these things, iron skillets? You know how they're seasoned beautifully and they're... Well, my wife thought they were dirty, so she had a steel wool pad, and she was scrubbing it to make it clean. That almost ended our marriage there. But uh, the wonderful thing about the South, too, is my grandmother, I got to spend the summers with her, and it was a a marvelous thing. She had two dogs. Uh, One dog was named Blackie. Now you say, well, was it black? No, it was white. I, I, I didn't understand that one. But she had another dog, and it looked like the shaggy dog, you know, with the long hair. You've seen those sheepdog kind of thing. And that dog's name was Troubles. Troubles. I said, why did you name this dog Troubles? And she said, well, when he showed up on our door, he had mange, he had ticks, he had fleas, he had all kinds of troubles. And so we named him Troubles. Sometimes I wish that Troubles were that easy that we could just bring them in, clean them up, and own them. But that's not always the case. This morning in Psalm chapter 3, we see the troubles that David finds himself in. And those troubles are going to create heartache for him. But because of his heartache, we get Psalm 3, which is entitled, A Psalm of David When He Fled from Absalom, His Son. So this morning, if you would take your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 3, we will learn three truths about troubles. Three truths about troubles. Truth number one is troubles are pervasive. Troubles are pervasive. Look what it says in verses 1 and 2. O oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. A psalm of David He is having trouble. He says, how many? Many are rising. There is this overwhelming sense of troubles. There is an insurrection from those who are close to him that are being led by his own son. Troubles. They came to him. And this son of his is a very capable individual. If you take time to read the the passage in Samuel that this psalm is written from, you will find out that Absalom was a very handsome man, very engaging. He was a very cunning and smart man, and he was a very popular man. 
And all of those things he gathered together to go against his own father, to bring about an insurrection, to bring about an overthrow of David from the throne. He is bringing them all to bear, all of his skills, all of his looks, all of his popularity. He's bringing them all to bear on his father. This creates a little clearer image of my own parental problems, doesn't it? When you think of others' troubles, sometimes yours aren't so bad. But comparison is not the solution here, and we will get to that in just a moment. But the understanding is that problems are pervasive. Notice what it says. It says, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me, against David. Keep in mind, David is rich. David is famous. David is successful. David is powerful. He has all these things that you can dream and imagine. And he has troubles. No one is immune from troubles. Troubles are pervasive. Troubles are everywhere. And everyone deals with them. Troubles. Uh, My wife and I teach at a Christian school. Parents pay $18,000 a year to put their kids into our school. You say, well, you probably have it pretty easy. We have troubles. We have troubles. My wife and I sit at dinner at night, and sometimes we exchange stories. And one night, I shared with her about some students that decided that they would just leave campus before school was out, and they ended up getting in trouble for that. And then she said, well, that was nothing. She, she said, today, two kids wet the, their pants. She teaches kindergarten. She says, another girl, during lunch, while we were eating lunch, she had a mouthful of food, and as she opened her mouth, it was bleeding, and she says, I think I lost my tooth. Troubles. No one is immune from them. No matter where you are, no matter what you are, no matter what position in life you have, troubles are pervasive. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Uh, Now, these troubles also teach us that sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. Do you remember who Absalom's mother was? Absalom's mother was Bathsheba. And if you remember, David and Bathsheba had an adulterous relationship, and this is the result of that. Sin has consequences. Uh, Forgiveness, we are set free. But when you sin, there are consequences. Uh, Think about this way. Think of it when you drive a nail into a board and you think, well, that's not where that nail should go and you pull the nail out. You have taken the nail out and removed it, but there is still a consequence of that action. And David is reaping the consequences of his actions, which was an adulterous relationship. Troubles are pervasive. David is forced to flee. And when he flees, you can read about it in 2 Samuel 15, when he flees even his friends begin to turn against him. His troubles are many. His foes are many. Those that rise up against him are many. Troubles are pervasive. Verse 1, he is in a minority, and that is a test of nerve, no doubt. And then as you see what happens, it begins to be a shrinking minority, and then they begin to heap onto him this idea of your faith is worthless. Your faith is nothing. Look at verse 2. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. There's no salvation for you, David. There's no rescue. There's no deliverance. 
And think of David, a man after God's own heart, a man devoted to the things of God. And here he is being told, your faith is worthless. Your faith is meaningless. Your faith has no foundation or merit. This is a a, a shot at David. David, you have wasted your time. You have wasted your, your energy in doing what God wants, and now look how you're being repaid for it. Troubles are pervasive. They are everywhere. There is not salvation for him and God. Uh, Harsh words for David. You say, you know, last week we talked about storms. This week we talk about troubles. I can hardly wait till Pastor Zach gets back and we talk about something happier, right? But the reality is, that's the way life is. Life is filled with storms and with troubles. Notice what happens at the end of verse 2. We have the word Silah or Sila. This is a musical thing. Most of the time we think about pause. We think about just stopping or a rest. One writer said this. He said, when you see Silah, that's when you think, I need to tighten my harp strings because we're about to get going again. And that's exactly what happens here. It's as though David says, my troubles are everywhere and they're piling on top of me. And then he stops. And he pauses. And that's when he begins to think about God. Think about when you have been involved in doing things. Uh, I, have, I am not a home repairman. My wife and I, we were driving uh, here, and you know we see houses and we say different things, and we laugh about some of the houses we've had. One of the first, the first house we owned, uh, my son and I redid the bathroom. Now, my son was three at the time, and so the two of us, we went in, and, you know, it was, it was an older house, and so the tile, it, it came down very easily. I, I, we, we have a picture of him with goggles, a Cincinnati Reds baseball batting helmet on, and a plastic hammer, and he's knocking these tiles off. That's how broken down it was. And I remember, you know, all the fury and all the work of destroying it and breaking it down, and then all of a sudden it's like, uh, uh, <laughs> what, what now? Because there were pipes that were exposed. There were studs that were exposed. There was a window that was tilting, and it was, it was awful. And my wife, we make one call. Two men show up. One was a builder. One was a cabinet maker. They walk in, and they assess the problem, and they said, okay, let's stop and think. Let's stop and think. And then they begin to assess the troubles, and they begin to make repairs and fix it. That's what David does, beginning in verse number 3. We know that troubles are pervasive, and then we know that troubles need perspective. Troubles need perspective. Look at verses 3 and 4. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. A perspective on troubles. Troubles either drive you to God or away from God. You are driven by troubles. We are human, and our circumstances oftentimes overwhelm us so much that it causes us to move in one direction or the other. David chooses to be driven to God. Why does David choose to go to God? Because of these divine trio of mercies. He says that he is the shield, my glory, and the lifter of my head. David was driven to God. The first thing that he says, he says, there is defense for the defenseless. 
Look at what he says. He says, he is a shield, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. In 2 Samuel 16, if you would open your Bibles to that, we can look at that for just a moment. In 2 Samuel verses 16, beginning at chapter 16, beginning at verse 5, we can see what David means by this. Now notice what happens in verse 5 of 2 Samuel 16. It says, When King David came to Berum, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, son of Saul, or a member of Saul's family. Remember, Saul was the king before David. And so Shimei comes out, and as he came, he cursed continually, and he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David, and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said as he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom, See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Troubles from Shimei. But David says, you're my shield. Look what happens in verse 9. Then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, Curse David... Who then shall say, why have you done so? You see what David is doing? He's putting in God into the context. And he's saying, God is my shield. So he's saying, if this is what God wants, this is what we listen to. And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite leave him alone and let him curse? For the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. So David and his men went on the road while Shimei went along on the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. You say, where's the shield? David is being hit by stones and by dust. He is continuing to curse The shield is not a physical shield. It is a shield of his heart. Think about David. The stress and the strain that he is under because of the troubles of his own son. The pressure that is bearing down upon him. Most of the time when pressure hits us, our natural reaction is to lash out. But David, because God is his shield, and he says in in this text, he goes, the Lord has told him, the Lord will look on me, the Lord will repay me. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord is my shield. The Lord has shielded my heart so that I am not climbing up the side of that mountain with Abishai and eviscerating him with my sword. The Lord is protecting me. He is allowing me to be able to operate another day and not to be lost in this circumstance that is happening right now. He says, David says, he is a shield. He is the defense for the defenseless the shield around David's heart. Your heart is the source of all life. If it's not protected, then life does not go on. And David's heart is protected. Verse 3, the terms grow more and more positive when we get to verse 3. The the outlook in verses 1 and 2 were bleak. But then he says, he covers me. He hides me behind this shield. It's a great contrast to verse 
uh, verse number two, where it says, men are saying there's no help for you in God. And now we get to verse three, and he says, well, I, I not only have help, but I can tell you exactly what it's like. He is a shield. He is protecting me. He is hiding me. You can begin to feel the, the buoyant confidence, the reassurance that David is beginning to, to build in his own heart. He said, he is my shield. This is nothing new for people of God. In Genesis chapter 15, Abraham says the same thing. He says, you are my shield before me and behind me. This is nothing new. David is just reiterating what is the reality when God is a part of our lives. He is our shield. And David says he is the defender for the defenseless. Remember, God is able and willing to defend us and to take care of us in our troubles, in our storms. Remember last week with the disciples? The storm. He did not deliver them from the storm, but he delivered them in the storm. God is with us in our troubles. Notice what else David says. He says not only is he a defense for the defenseless, but he is glory for the despised. He says, he is my glory. Not kingdom, but he says, God is his glory. This is very personal. Do you see the my? The my glory. God is my glory. What does that mean, that God is my glory? What that means is that honor and importance comes to David, not from something outside of him, but something inside of him. His importance and his uh, honor are within him. In Psalm 34, verse 5, it says this, Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Remember Moses when he went up on Mount Sinai and got the law? And when he came back, do you remember the people's reaction? The people's reaction was, we can't look upon you because your face, the glory, is too bright. So he put a bag over his head. You see, when we are in the presence of God, we, we are infused in, in with his, his glory. Our importance and our worth come because of what God has done for us. Uh, think about the, the temporalness of outside glory. Remember David and the women? They were cheering. David has killed his 10,000, Saul only 1,000. David is marvelous. David is great. Where's that crowd now? Where are those people now? Where are those people that were giving him honor and glory? Where have they gone? Well, we found another guy that we'd rather follow, and that's Absalom. But David says, that's all right. You're my glory, God. You're my glory inside of me because of what has happened to me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it talks about this. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. In verse 13, it says, Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Moses, it was external. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 14, But their minds were hardened, For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Verse 15 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. David, my glory comes from the Lord. My importance, my worth, my value comes from what God has done for me through Christ. This morning, if you are struggling with this, this, this sense of desperation where you want to be validated, find validation in your relationship with Christ. Find validation in knowing who Jesus is and what he has done and how he then grants you access into the presence of God to experience the glory of God. Uh, David is very clear here. He says we've got uh, defense for the defenseless, and that's a shield. We've got glory for the despised, my glory that comes from God. And then he says we've got joy for the destitute. Do you see what happens? He says, and the lifter of my head. This, again, is a, a glorious contrast to the dejection that he is feeling from 2 Samuel chapter 15. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, Shimei is cursing and throwing and pelting him. Plus, he is bearing the burden and the heaviness that comes with his son rejecting him and mounting an insurrection against him. And so it it talks about him, his face down, his head down, his body broken because of all of this. And David says, he's the lifter of my head. The reason why we hang our heads is because we are ashamed, because we feel defeated. How many times have you heard a coach at the end of a loss say, heads up, heads up, guys, heads up, you've done your best. You've nothing to be ashamed of. You're head up. Well, this isn't some coach on the sideline. This is the Lord reaching out and putting his hand on the face of David and lifting it up. Not so God can see David's face, but so David can see God's face and say, you have nothing to be ashamed of, my friend. You are right where I want you to be. You are in the middle of what it is that that I have planned for you and purposed for you to make you more and more like me. Uh, David says he is the lifter of my head. Joy and thanksgiving are a part of this in spite of the troubles, in spite of the pervasiveness that fills this moment for David, in spite of all that is there, he reaches out, God does, and lifts his head. It says God is a shield God is his glory. God is his lifter. There is nothing that transforms like truth. God is true in bringing a shield, in bringing glory, and in lifting my head. That's truth. Feelings are real. We all have feelings. And I'm not denying feelings. I have feelings. My mom... Uh, has has had a stroke. She is in a nursing care facility, and I have feelings. You know, we get excited when she does something, and it makes me feel good when I see her work well and do something well. But then there are other times where there is nothing that she's able to do. She has those moments where where and and my feelings disappear. But the truth remains that God is sovereign, that she is saved, that she's going to glory. That's what you hold on to. The feelings are nice. But the truth is what transforms you to be able to do what you need to do. And David says, here's the truth. The truth is that God is my shield, God is my glory, and God is the lifter of my head. That's the perspective on troubles we need to have. The perspective of what God is doing and what God is accomplishing. 
I love Alistair Begg. I've used a quote from him in every sermon that I've ever preached in this place. So here we go again. It says this, thinking properly is directly related to acting correctly. Thinking properly is directly related to acting correctly. When we think properly, God is my shield, God is my glory, God is the lifter, then we act correctly. That's proper thinking. Sometimes, however, instead of thinking properly, we just allow our feelings or we look for something else to grab hold of. I I can't remember if I shared this with you, but this school year is different for me. Uh, I am... Uh, I have added some administrative responsibilities to my work. Instead of teaching a full load of classes, I just teach three. And then the other times I do some discipline and work with some teachers and do some other things. And one of the things that I've been reminded of is how students look for other things to bring about satisfaction during the times of trouble. There are cutting that goes on. There's vaping that goes on. There's drug use that goes on. There are all kinds of things that students do to try to bring satisfaction through the troubles they're experiencing. And the marvelous thing about the place where I am is I'm able to remind them about the God who is their shield, who is their glory, and who is the lifter of their heads. This morning... Maintain your perspective. Notice what David does beginning in verse 4. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Salah. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. God is a sufficient source. After David begins to have his perspective fixed, of course he's Christ God. Of course he prays out. Of course he looks to him. I have seen the hills of Israel. Uh, We ate lunch on Mount Scopus. Uh, We stood on the Temple Mound. Uh, We were all over the mountains of Jerusalem. And there is nothing more breathtaking than to imagine having that position of safety and security and holding the position of advantage and being able to look to that and know that we're going to be taken care of. And that's what David does. He says, I look to, to him and his holy hill. The holy hill, it's a position of strength and success that God possesses. He does it again in Psalm 121, doesn't he? I lift up mine eyes unto the hells. Because <laughs> that's where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. This morning, as you are experiencing the troubles of life, understand who God is. Think correctly about him. Maintain the perspective of what he brings to you and then cry out to him and he will listen. He will listen. I was going to preach a message one time on prayer and so I called a friend of mine and we were talking and I said, if you were preaching a message on prayer, what is one thing you would remind people of? Without skipping a beat, he immediately said that God listens to us. That God listens to us. Do we know what that's like? Sometimes we don't, right? Because the people we talk to, they're waiting to respond. They're not listening. But God is listening. God is listening. I cried unto the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. God is listening and he acts. It may be no, that might be his answer. It may be yes, or it may be wait. But nonetheless, God listens and God acts from his holy hill. There's no separation, there's no barrier, there's no space, there's nothing. He's there, available to us, in this position of advantage. He is there, watching over us. 
Think about those that have cried out to the Lord. Last week it was Peter, remember? Lord, save me. What about Jonah in the belly of the fish? Lord, save me. What about Hagar, who was kicked out of Abraham's tent? She cried unto the Lord, and the Lord came to her. The Lord is there for you. I cried unto the Lord. What they know about God is what makes them call out to him. This morning, do you know him? Do you know the Lord? Do you know the Lord enough to say, Lord, save me? Lord, keep me? Lord, be my shield, be my glory, be the lifter of my head? Do you know him this morning? There are three truths about trouble in Psalm chapter 3. The first truth is that troubles are pervasive. The second truth is that troubles need perspective. And the third truth is there are products of trouble. Because of the trouble you're going through, there are certain products that will result. There is purpose in your troubles. Your troubles produce something. Please notice the first thing they produce. Uh, They produce confidence. Verse 5, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. Verse 5 is all about falling asleep. Literally. Literally. Think about David. David, what are you doing sleeping? David, shouldn't you be alarmed and upset and be worried about this insurrection that's happening? What are you doing sleeping? Well, I'm sleeping because God is my glory, my shield, my lifter of my head. And I've cried to him, and he's delivered me. I'm good. There is a great confidence that comes from these troubles. I lie down, and I sleep, and I wake. He's so sure that God has heard him that he falls asleep. And he sleeps because of what God is doing. He doesn't sleep because of anything that he's done. The only thing he did was lie down. And the sleep comes as a result. Someone has said this, Because his loving almighty hand is beneath his head, he is inaccessible and therefore devoid of fear. The hand of God pillows the head of David and allows him to rest. Please note that he falls asleep amidst these troubles. God has not said, David, there are no more troubles. Instead, God says, this is who I am. This is who I am. You go to sleep. You go to sleep. And also, he woke up. He woke up. Isn't that a wonderful thing? He slept so soundly that the Lord had to say, David, here we go, a new day. Here we go, David, another day. So he let him sleep, and then God woke him up. He has tremendous confidence in his heavenly Father. I love what he says here. The Lord sustains me. The Lord sustains me. What David knows about God is what sustained him and allowed him to sleep, and then God woke him up and said, it's time to go. It's time to go. We have to remember who God is and the perspective on our troubles, and that will produce these products of troubles, confidence in God. Notice the second thing that it produces in verse 6. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Another product of trouble is courage. You see the courage? I'm not going to be afraid. Verse 6 builds on verse 5's encouragement. I have slept so well that now I'm ready to face the day. 
And he says, I will not be afraid of many thousands. This is a reminder of the many in verses 1 and 2. The troubles aren't gone. The troubles are still there. And David says, but you know what? I'm ready. I'm ready to go with my shield, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I'm ready to go. He's ready to face the day. He's ready to face the opportunities. Please notice, this is feeling afraid, but making the decision volitionally to move on because of what God does. So we aren't discounting our feelings. David is fearful. David is afraid, but I'm choosing not to be anymore because of what God has done for me. It is a a marvelous thing to have this view of God. I will, he says. His choice is that he will not be afraid. He knows what he is up against, and he still says, I will not be afraid. You say, well, either he's brave or he's insane. (laughs) Or he is committed to what God is able to accomplish in his life. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. David says, I am not afraid. He readies for the day, looking forward to what God will do. He is anxious for the opportunity. The products of trouble, confidence, courage, and notice verse 7. Verse 7 says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Concessions. That's another product of troubles. Concessions. Notice what David does. He concedes to what God wants. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. The concessions are like this. He concedes, David does, it is no longer I that liveth, but God who liveth in me. It is no longer I that liveth, but it's God living in me. I'm conceding to the reality that the Lord is living with me. And I can move on with the day. Notice the prayer. It says, save me, O my God. We'll get to that more in just a moment when he says salvation belongs to the Lord. But he says this, he says, (coughs) excuse me, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. You say, well, that's kind of (laughs) mean. Well, let's have a little bit of Old Testament perspective. There is this clear understanding in David's mind that he is God's man doing God's work in God's place. And so everybody else needs to have their jaw jacked and their teeth broken. That's, new, that's Old Testament stuff. Nehemiah. You remember Nehemiah, he went to build the walls, and when he was building the walls, Sam Ballad started making fun of him. And one of the things he said, he said, we could have a fox run on your walls and they would crumble. And he made fun of him. And Nehemiah prayed to God and he says, God, do not forgive his sins. God, allow them to be captured and plundered like we were. I love Old Testament prayers. Don't you? Because it reminds me that what I'm doing is what God has asked me to do. It reminds me that I'm doing what God wants to do. And so it's very important. And not only that, but I have this intense relationship with God. And if you want to go against him, remember you're standing with him against others. And if I need to pray this kind of prayer, so be it. Because I want to be a part of what God wants. He says in verse 8 that without the Lord, there's no solution or success worth having. 
Because he says in verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. If we fall into the New Testament, this sounds just like Acts chapter 4, verse 12, right? There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's only one that brings salvation. There is only one name that brings deliverance. That's, that's God. Through his son, Jesus Christ, he brings deliverance. The Lord delivers. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Every iota of deliverance that David experienced belongs to the Lord. David takes no credit for himself. From the Lord comes deliverance. Any life-transforming change or lasting success is owed to the Lord. Whatever it is that you are experiencing in terms of transformation and renewal and success, salvation belongs to the Lord. He is the one that has done it. This morning, are you trusting Him? Are you relying upon Him? In the midst of the troubles that are yours, are you able to lean on Him? Notice how he ends this. He says, your blessings beyond your people. Selah. Your blessings beyond your people. Bless those that have had to deal with me. That's in essence what he's saying, right? He said, I know, I've been tough to be around. So Lord, now that I've got this thing sorted out, will you please bless those that have had to put up with me? He doesn't say bless me because he feels equipped and ready to do battle. Instead he says, bless those around me. So they experience the blessings of you. Bless them, Lord, for what it is that they have done. Three truths about troubles. Troubles are pervasive. Troubles need perspective. And there are products of trouble that bring assurance and blessing. Charles Wesley wrote a hymn, O Four Thousand Tongues to Sing. You know the hymn. I don't need to go into the details of it. But the story behind the hymn is that Charles Wesley was experiencing this thing called pleurisy. Have you heard of pleurisy? It's like a lung where you get kind of a swelling around your lungs, and it's it's painful. And when he was going through that, he found himself alone. And while he was alone... He allowed all of the the pain and the suffering that he was experiencing to kind of cause him to say, I don't know if I believe this stuff anymore. I don't know if I believe what it is that God is trying to do. And his brother John came to him and explained to him that this is for a season and this is what God has for you. You need to trust in him. And when Charles Wesley experienced a modicum of relief from his brother's testimony, he penned the words, O four thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise. This morning, may we join in the chorus of what it is that God has done through the troubles that he brings in our, allows in our lives so that we can have success each day. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. We do not want to be redundant, but Lord, we are so thankful for men like David who went through things that are far beyond we can comprehend. And because he went through those things, we have these wonderful things called psalms that we can read and learn from and realize what it is that you have for us. Father, please help us to remember salvation belongs to you. In Jesus' name, amen.